So happy Mother's Day to all of you once again. And uh, today we're going to kind of continue and, and pause our, our uh, sermon series on less is more. And hello to all of you who are going to be joining us on Facebook and looking at this. And, uh, you know, happy Mother's Day to you all, whoever you are. Um, so less is more, the idea there is that even in these small little tiny books of the Bible, we find incredible things and incredible practical truth even for today. And uh, last week we started the little tiny little letter of, uh, we call it Second John. It's one of three letters that uh, the Apostle John, most likely the Apostle John wrote to different people. And uh, so we took a look at that. And next week, we'll look at the next one, which is 3 John. But today, we're going to take another Less is More book, a really short little book in the Old Testament. And it has a wonderful, wonderful Mother's Day uh, message, really, for all time. We're going to be looking at the book of Ruth today in the Bible's Old Testament. So um, if you want to go and find it, we're going to cover the whole thing today. I'm sorry, you'll need to cancel your lunch that you have planned. Uh, we'll be here until at least 12.15 because the movie doesn't start until 12.40. So I'm just going to ruin your day and do all four chapters of Ruth. Sound like a plan? Come on, come on, laugh, laugh, laugh. It's a joke. Not going to do every, all four chapters, all right? Um, but we are going to look at this book. It is a treasure uh, in the Old Testament. I read the book... Um, uh, a few times this week, and the first time I read it, been a long time since I read Ruth, I could feel hot tears coming down my cheeks. What a beautiful book this is, and hopefully you will grip it uh, over the next few moments that we, we spent together here, the book of Ruth. Um, so it starts, it starts this way in the, in the days when the judges ruled, in the days when the judges ruled. So we'll just pause for a moment. Okay, you have to go back in time to, to uh, understand this book. This is an old, old book. It's got old, old customs in it. If you don't understand some of the culture and some of the customs, you are going to scratch your head and say, what is this crazy book I'm reading? I don't understand any of this, all right? So you have to go back and, and understand some of those things. By the way... Um, just, just uh, uh, um, uh, a, a, little, a little piece for you on the side here, uh, today being Mother's Day. Uh, I actually did go and see Avengers Endgame, all right? Being a student of the popular culture uh, and tried to understand popular culture all the time as a pastor, I went and saw this movie. And let me tell you, without giving anything away, now, you know, you have to put a little asterisks by it. You've got to deal with the comic book violence. You've got to deal with some language. Uh, I don't remember any kind of sexual stuff in there, although there's one or two crude jokes, okay? So all of that is in there, and I just tell you that. But wow, there are some powerful messages about redemption. Uh, very interesting Mother's Day message in there. Uh, and so... I just put it out there, you know, for teens on up, it would be an interesting conversation to have. Uh, so, you know, if, you're, if your mother likes action movies and Marvel Comics universe, you know, and you forgot it was Mother's Day, 
she might well enjoy it because there is hidden underneath the surface there a little Mother's Day message. So I digress, I digress. So go to uh, the book of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled, uh, the days when the judges ruled is a really, really dark time in the history of Israel. Really dark time. So you're basically, they've gotten into the land of Canaan, they, they, and, but they don't have any kings yet. So in between when, they, when they're supposed to take the land under Joshua and the, oh, we could turn off the, we could turn that off, yeah, technology. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, in between when they get into Canaan and when they, when they have their first uh, set of kings and, you know, you see Saul rise on the scene and all that, you have a very dark period. And so the people have adopted many of the practices of the Canaanites and they're worshiping other gods and there's all kinds of problems and there's all kinds of sin and there's all kinds of just just moral issues all over the place. And so what happens is God raises up these judges uh, to lead them back to repentance, sometimes to fight battles, uh, sometimes to fend off their enemies, all kinds of things. And, and then they, they repent from their sin and then they go back to it and then God raises up another judge and it's kind of like this broken record and it just keeps going around and around and around and around in circles. Very dark time. If you read the book of Judges, which is right before the book of Ruth, you'll probably get really depressed and say, my goodness, you know, this is really, this is really dark because it is. So this is the time that this book is written in and the time that it is talking about in the days when the judges ruled. Um, before we get into the basic story, which is really easy to understand, just two key passages for you to grapple with uh, that have to do with the customs and culture of that day. Um, one of them is the exclusion of the Moabites. You'll meet Moab in a moment, but uh, the passage in question is from the, the book of Deuteronomy. Remember, this is, this is the, the time when the judges ruled. This is 3,000 years ago in the ancient Middle East. These people believed the Torah. They believed the first five books of the Bible, what we call the Pentateuch today, the, the, the books of Moses, if you will. They, this is what they followed and there are two key passages in Deuteronomy, which, which is one of these five books of the Bible that these people followed um, that are key to the story. And this is the ban, the exclusion of the Moabites. It's from Deuteronomy 23, verses 3 to 5. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even to the 10th generation. So... Ammonites and Moabites were the descendants of Lot, uh, who was related to Abraham, but they are the descendants of Lot via an incestuous relationship. And the Ammonites and the Moabites became enemies of Israel over time. And here you see this ban, this exclusion from these two groups. They may not enter the assembly of the Lord, not even to the 10th generation. Why? For they did not come to meet you with bread and water on your way uh, when you came out of Egypt. Way, way, way back. Moses brought the people out of Egypt and the Ammonites and the Moabites did not help them. And they hired uh, uh, Balaam. We call him uh, ba Balaam sometimes. It's pronounced Balaam. Remember the guy with the talking donkey? 
So they hired him. He was a, a kind of a prophet of the time. And they hired him to pronounce a curse on Israel. The Moabites did that. The Ammonites did that. Uh, and verse 5, however, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam and, and turn that curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. But there is a ban that is pronounced on these Ammonites and Moabites because they did not help the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. You with me so far? Key for your understanding of the story that we're about to look at. And the other, the other key is what's called the levy rate redemption or levy rate marriage uh, from the word uh, levier, which is Latin for uh, the brother of a husband. And this was a rule that they followed back then. You're going to say, man, that's really different than today. Yes, 3,000 years ago in the ancient Middle East, very different from today. If brothers are living together, and sometimes this would be interpreted as being of the same clan, and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. Whew, aren't you glad you didn't live back then? Back there. This is the way it was back then, back there. Uh, the first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. And then it gets even weirder. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, my husband's brother refuses to carry on my brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. And then the elders of the town, again, this is ancient customs, 3,000 years ago, ancient Middle East does not apply today, but very crucial to understanding the book of Ruth. So we've got to go back in time, okay? If he refuses, the elders, uh, th then the elders of his town shall summon him to talk to him. And if he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, 3,000 years ago, ancient Middle East. Do you hear me so far? Okay. And say, this is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. And that man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandaled. Okay, you say, what kind of weirdity is this? Ancient Middle Eastern culture, 3,000 years ago at least. And now we enter into this magnificent book of Ruth. Uh, many people have preached messages, written books. I, I saw a magnificent stage play, uh, high production of this whole thing. Uh, live in the United States. It was magnificent. Ruth gets all the attention. But today I want to give the attention to Naomi, not specifically to Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a man from Bethlehem, yep, the same Bethlehem that you know from the Christmas story, a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Moab, who were excluded 
from entry into the assembly, whatever that exactly meant, people debate. But Moab, I mean different culture, different gods, enemies of Israel, they had to go. It's on the other side of the Jordan River. It's on the eastern side of the Jordan River. They had to go over there because there's a famine in Judah, in Bethlehem, and they go to Moab to live. Wow. So their names will come up on the screen. You're going to make this really, really easy for you. You have Naomi, you have Elimelech, and they have two sons, Malon and Kilion. Okay? And so these four make their way to Moab. Foreign culture, foreign worship system to survive. This is why they went there. Verse 3 of chapter 1. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. So, not only did she leave her homeland, and not only did she go to this foreign place with her husband and her two sons, she buries her husband there, leaving her to be a widow. In that time, in that culture, she's in bad shape. Because who's going to take care of her? Well, presumably her sons, but her sons are not married and they have no, no offspring. What's going to happen to this woman? Again, different time, different culture, different place. But this is the pressure that she is under. So we'll put a little line through Elimelech. He has passed away. And then we learn that uh, these two boys who are Hebrew, go and marry two, or they each marry one Moabite woman. So we have Orpah and we have Ruth. These are their names, not Oprah, Orpah. Okay, whenever I read it, I always think of Oprah. It's not Oprah, it's Orpah, okay? And Ruth, and Ruth is the famous, famous one who we always talk about. We don't really talk about her mother-in-law who we will talk about today. We don't know which of the boys married which of the, of the girls. It's not specifically told to us, but uh, they marry. And this would have been a taboo for sure because they're not Hebrew, these women. Uh, but they're living in this land. Their, Naomi's husband has just died. We don't, even, we don't know what took his life, but he passed away. She would have been obviously heartbroken. And so these two boys marry uh, uh, Orpah and uh, Ruth. And then we, we continue to read on in the story. Uh, after they had lived there about 10 years, so minimum they lived in Moab for a decade, minimum, because we don't know how much time passed before Elimelech passed away, but at least after the weddings, they lived there for 10 years. And guess what happened? Both of her sons passed away. She's in a, she's in a foreign culture with a foreign worship system, her, her two boys have married these Moabite women, and she's doing two more funerals. So she does her husband's funeral. She does her son's funeral, number one. Her son's funeral, number two. No children from them. It's just Naomi who's left. And these two Moabite women who worship foreign gods. Naomi's in a foreign land, all alone, and so what does she decide to do? Well, when she hears that there is food back in Judah, 
back in Bethlehem, she says, I'm going home. I'm going to return home. There's no point in me staying here. Um, and so she's going to leave Moab and head back home. And, and initially, she's going to bring both of these girls with her. But then she says to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. Uh, may, may the Lord, and she's talking about Yahweh there, may the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead, referring to their husbands, and to me. May the Lord, again referring to the Hebrew God there, may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. You need to stay where you are. You are Moabites. Uh, I will return to my land, to my worship system, to my God. You need to stay here and you need to find other husbands so that you can live. And she kisses them and they, they together they weep aloud and, um, and they say to her, you know what, we'll go with you. We'll go with you and we'll, we'll return to your people, to your home. And Naomi says, why? Go to your own home. Why would you come with me? Um, I'm not going to have any more sons. You, you know, if you come to Judah and you come to live there, you're Moabites. You're not going to get married to anybody over there. They're not going to want to marry you. And, he, and if I have kids, well, what are you going to do? Even if I go back home... And I marry tonight, you know, and, and conceive. What, are you going to wait 15, 20, 30 years before you marry again? Like, you need to stay here. You need to stay in Moab. This is your home. And you need to, 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 to survive and you need to live here. And um, so she's trying to convince them. And she, she's very hurt. And she, she believes that God has put his hand against her because she's buried her whole family in Moab and they and they weep again and Orpah says okay I will stay I'll stay here in Moab and she stays uh, but this Ruth has a kind of a feisty stick to itiveness she's very hard-headed she's very stubborn and she's incredibly loyal to her mother-in-law Naomi and she says I am not going to stay here in Moab. I'm going with you. And there's a very famous passage uh, that's often preached on Ruth chapter 1 verse 16. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. It's a magnificent statement. She is so devoted to her. She is willing to come into the household of faith uh, under the Hebrew God and everything. She's willing to change her entire life to stay with her mother-in-law. And she says, I will die with you. I will serve your God. I, I will give my, my whole life to you. It will, uh, my whole I'll anything that needs to be done. May the Lord deal with me. She's referring to the Hebrew God. May the Lord deal with me. This is a Moabite speaking. Ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. That's a devoted, devoted uh, woman, Ruth is. And so Naomi, her mother-in-law, realizes, well, this is, uh, <laughs> this is not going to work. So, so she's going to come with me, I guess, and she, you know, because Ruth obviously cannot be convinced. And so they make the journey to 
Bethlehem back over the Jordan River because there is food there. And so uh, Naomi and Ruth head back to Bethlehem. And remember, Naomi had buried three of her loved ones in this place called Moab. What a nightmare. What a nightmare for this woman. And she's going to make the journey back to Bethlehem with her Moabite daughter-in-law who has no children. What will the people say? What will they do when she comes back? I told you so. I told you not to go to Moab. I told you to stay here and to depend on, on God. Maybe God would, would feed us like he did in the, in the ancient wilderness. You know, I told you not to go over there. They worship other gods over there, and look what happened. You went over there, and you buried your whole family, and you returned with this Moabite woman. I told you not to go, but she goes. Just her and her stubborn daughter-in-law head back to Moab, and, and Naomi is, is very, very upset. She even changes her name to a word that means bitter, and she believes that God did, did, did this to her and punished her, and this is the way that she views it, and she returns back to her homeland uh, in this state of, you know, just devastated. She buried, imagine that over a decade, a little over a decade, just her whole family's wiped out. We don't know what took their lives. It's not said to us, um, but she returns and heads back home. Um, so there are three things that I want you to see about not Ruth, but Naomi, her mother-in-law, that uh, apply to, to mothers. And we'll sort of jump in and out of the story as we look at each, each one of these things. Uh, number one, mothers, really, if you think about it, if you stop and think about it, mothers really do have great courage. They really, really do. I mean, just think about just the biology of motherhood, just for a second. And uh, there was some, one of the royal people had a baby this week, yes? Right, and one of them, I mean, I, I'm kidding, who is it? Is it Megan, Megan, right, Megan Markle had a baby, right? And, and so everybody, yay! And a lot of people, who cares? How many of you are who cares? I'm kind of on the who cares side, right? But, but anyway, we like to, we like, I, maybe it's fantasy for us, you know. We say, oh, she had a baby, you know. But what did her husband say? Very smart, this, this fellow, you know. He, 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 made a, he made a statement and he made a remark. And he, I, guess he, I guess he watched her give birth and he, and he was just stunned, you know. And he was just like, I, I, I mean, it's amazing what mothers are able to do, right? I mean, that's, that's a pretty courageous thing. Like, I don't, per personally, I don't believe that, that men could endure that kind of pain. Personally, I don't think so. Because for me, I am such a baby. I mean, it doesn't take much for me to, you know, a pebble in my shoe. You know what I mean? Like, I'm such a baby. But I see what, what mothers have to go through. And I was there when, when, when my wife gave birth. And I just sat there in all looking at this. I mean, you can talk epidural and drugs all you want, but how many of you moms know? Like, you know. That is some, that's some crazy, crazy kind of pain you've got to endure. Like, that's crazy. That's, that's, men don't, men, men are thankful that they're men. 
Okay, we're thankful. You know, we'll do whatever you need, honey, whatever you, yes, dear. Yes, dear. After you see that, yes, dear. The, the, I mean, the respect is like real, real, real high. That's just the biology. Okay, but a lot of mothers, and I was reading different articles on, on motherhood and on this story and on different Bible uh, uh, mothers in the Bible. There are so many examples. And, you know, there's an article that talks about how mothers in the Bible went to hell and back for their children. I mean, here's an example. You know, this, this woman b- buries her whole family in, in, in this foreign place and then re- re- returns home and is going to face this kind of criticism. And she's got this, this, uh, this daughter-in-law is a Moabite, you know. What will the people say? Well, she's going to face the heat. But she has tremendous, tremendous courage as she, as she does this. Um, and she, she takes this woman with her, a, a woman who had essentially converted uh, for her and said, I will, I will take on your God. I will, I will become Hebrew for all intents and purposes. Whatever it takes to be with you, I want to, to uh, nothing is going to separate me from you. This is how close she was to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Wow, what inspired that kind of devotion uh, from Ruth? We're not told, but it must have been something quite remarkable. Mothers really, really do have great courage. And, you know, I, I watch mothers, not just, not just my own wife, uh, but I watch mothers and, you know, people talk about the mama bear. The, you know, mama bear? What happens when, you know, something happens to their child? And it's like they change. I, I have seen that. I have seen that not only on, uh, from my wife, but I have seen that with other mothers. And it's like, it's like a transformation. It's like one of the Avengers. You know, they, they, they come as big like Hulk. And, you know, it's like, wh- what happened? Like, wh- who flipped that switch? You don't mess with my kid. You mess with my kid. And, I mean, and they'll face whatever, whatever they have to face. Men, yeah, yeah, fathers will, but they do it in a different way. Sometimes, you know, and uh, so it's just it's just an amazing thing to see the courage uh, of Naomi that she will return home. She will take this woman with her. And even in her state of, of devastation after what she had lost, even believing that God had somehow punished her. And that's why she lost all of her her family. She will still go there. She will still go and she will still face the heat. Um, and you see that at the end of uh, Ruth chapter one. Now, you move into chapter 2, and you see uh, the, it's like a drama. It's so well done and so easy to read. And so they go to, to Bethlehem, and we're told that it is the time for the barley harvest. Actually, that would be about similar to the time that we're in now, in the calendar year. This is post-Pesach, uh, post, uh, post-Passover. Uh, and before the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, as we sometimes call it. And so there's a harvest in between there. And it would be about the same as the time of year that we're in right now, actually. And so it's the harvest season in uh, Judah. And so uh, lo and behold, as it happens, Naomi has a relative on her dead husband's side. Remember Elimelech who passed away. She has a relative, part of her clan. Remember the levy rate redemption, a levy rate marriage? 
that we talked about at the beginning from the book of Deuteronomy. Well, she's got a relative who lives there. We're told he's a man of standing, and his name is Boaz, Boaz. And so Ruth says to Naomi, hey, it's the harvest season. Let me go to the fields and pick up whatever grain is left over behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. There's also a law in, in uh, Deuteronomy that says when a foreigner or an alien comes into the land, you leave the outside of the harvest for them. You need to let them pick from it. You don't persecute them. You let them pick from it because they're, they're aliens, they're strangers, and you too were aliens and strangers, you see. And so um, uh, th there was that law back then, and so she's obviously, she knows what it is. And she says, well, let me, let me go and pick the grain, and we'll see what happens. And so Naomi says to her, well, go ahead. And she goes out in the fields to glean. And as it turns out, as it, I love the book of Ruth. There's not one mention of any miracle in the book of Ruth. God doesn't apparently do anything in the book of Ruth, and yet he does everything. He seems to be behind it, behind the, the whole tapestry of the thing. So as it turns out, this Moabite woman is, is gleaning in the fields, and guess whose field she ends up gleaning in? Boaz, right? And so Boaz takes notice. And he says hi to all the people who are gleaning in the field. He's a man of means, this guy. He's quite the, you know, he's large and in charge, apparently, back then in that culture. And they all say hi to him. And he takes notice of this Moabite woman. And he says, who is that? And they say, well, this is the Moabite woman who came back with Naomi. And, uh, you know, and she wants to glean in our, in our field, and so we're letting her do that. And she, you know, she's a hard worker. She's working real hard, and she only took a short break. And, you know, and so Boaz says to Ruth, he, right away, he's very, very kind to her, very generous to her. And he says, don't go anywhere else. You stay here. You stay here with the other servant girls who I have here who are picking, picking uh uh, this barley, again, 3,000-year-old culture, okay, back then, back there. And he says, you know, you stay. I've told the men to watch it. I've told them not to touch you. Again, 3,000-year-old culture, okay. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying this is what it was back then. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. He's very kind to her. He takes notice of her. He's very nice to her. He goes out of his way to be kind to her. And she says, why are you doing this? And he says, listen, I've been told all about you. I've heard about your mother-in-law. I've heard about the death of your husband and how you left your homeland and how you came over here. May the Lord, referring to the Hebrew God, may the Lord repay you for what you've done. This magnificent verse comes. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Oh, I just love this passage. May, and she says, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, and you've given me comfort. You've spoken kindly, though I don't deserve it. You've been kind to me. And Boaz is even nicer to her. He says, come over here, have some bread, dip it in wine vinegar. Very, very nice to her. He gives her extra food. He protects her. He tells the people not to embarrass her. He's super, super nice to her. Um, and uh, so she, she, she gathers all of this, this barley. She heads to the, the threshing floor, which is a rather crude way of taking the chaff off the barley. They would throw it on, the, on this threshing floor that they had made, and they'd stamp on it. 
and they had to try and get the chaff off, and then they would winnow it to, to get the chaff further off so that they would get the grain out of that. That's the process that they used, again, 3,000 years ago. No combines or machines back then. Uh, that's how old this is. And so he's so, so, so nice to her, and she goes home with, uh, you know, 22 liters of food. <laughs> a lot of food she takes home to Naomi in their house. And Naomi says, hey, uh, where'd you go today? Where'd you glean today? And she says, you know, blessed is the man who took notice of you. And, and Ruth says to her, well, the man who I worked for today, his name was Boaz. And so uh, Naomi knows who Boaz is. And she says, oh, this man is our close relative, he is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Fancy term, again, referring to that old law of levy rate marriage. So this guy has the ability by the law to extend our family line. We could survive because of this man, Boaz. And so then Naomi, we close the chapter, and Naomi says, uh, you need to stay with this guy. Um, and, and also, verse 22, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvests were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Uh, number two, it goes by very, very quickly, but mothers have street smarts. They're not just smart mothers, they're street smart. So they, they read the culture very, very quickly. Um, Naomi has been out of Judah for over a decade. She comes back into Judah with a Moabite woman and she sees what's going on very, very quickly. She perceives the situation very, very rapidly. Oh, you're in Boaz's field. This guy is a kinsman redeemer. You need to stay close to him and you need to be careful. You need to watch out in someone else's field. You might be harmed. Bad things could happen to you, my daughter-in-law. You need to listen to me and you need to take my advice and you need to do exactly what I am telling you. And mothers, they have a street smart, it's like a sixth sense. And they, they look out for their children and they have this ability to help their children navigate and they have an ability to help protect their children in the culture. Young people, you're, you're, if you think your mother is annoying, she's annoying because she's smart. She's street smart. Listen to her. If she tells you, don't go over there, don't go over there. If she tells you, go over here, go over here. Listen to what she says, okay? When you're old enough and you're out on your own, you can do what you want to do. But when you live with her, do what she says. She's not dumb. She's very, very smart. She's street smart. She can see things that you don't see. She, she can smell something. She can smell trouble a mile away. Listen to what she says. And moms... Take your platform. You have a platform to protect your children and to exercise that street smartness that God gave you. Use it. Don't be afraid to use it. You could save your child's life. 
because of that street smartness that God hardwired into you. You see it very evident there in the life of Naomi, dealing with not even her own daughter, but her own daughter-in-law. And then you see chapter 3, you know where this is going, right? And Naomi, uh, the, the mother-in-law, says to, to her daughter, uh, you know, I've been thinking. <laughs> and that's what moms do. They think, my daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Aha, is not Boaz, uh, this, uh, who, who you're, you've been working for, is he not a kinsman of ours? Here's what you're going to do. Listen very, very closely to me, my daughter. She calls her her daughter. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Again, this process by which you remove the barley from the chaff. He will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. It's hard work. Um, wash yourself. Put on your perfume. Put on your best clothes. You see where this is going. Smart, smart lady, Naomi. Get all dolled up is basically what she's saying. Go down to the threshing floor. And don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. These men would work very hard. They would get exhausted. They'd probably have a huge meal. Maybe they'd even get a little bit drunk back then. We're not sure. But you don't go over there. Uh, you don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he's lying. And then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Say, what kind of crazy customs? I'm just telling you, it's 3,000 years ago, ancient Middle East, okay? Uh, she, what she's doing is she's, she's matchmaking, isn't she? She's matchmaking. Because she's playing the tape forward. And this is what moms do. It's one thing to be courageous. It's another thing to be street smart. It's another to have wisdom. And wisdom is you, you, you make decisions and you use your brain, but you use it because you see into the future. You're, you, somehow moms are able to play the tape forward. Dads, uh, not so much. You know, dads will, they'll, they'll, I mean, die for their kids. They'll jump in front of them and take a bullet for their kids, you know. But they don't always play the tape forward. What will that, what will that look like later? You know, they just, we, we just put ourselves in harm's way, kind of in the immediate. And we do things in a bit of a different way than moms do. We still, we're, we still have kind of the same instincts, uh, but we do it a little differently. With moms, they have this ability to play the tape forward. And some of you kids in the room, you know exactly what I'm talking about because your mom has told you things, and you oh, here she goes again. Oh, if you da 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 da, da where are you going to be 10 years down the road? And you're sort of like, oh, I've already, will you stop it? Ah, well, they're, they're, they're wise, you see. And so you need to listen to their wisdom. And so she, she's playing the tape forward, way forward in her daughter-in-law's life, and she's basically playing matchmaker here according to ancient custom. And so she sets this whole thing up, and Ruth, obedient as she is, I'll do whatever you say, and she goes down to the threshing floor, does whatever her mother-in-law tells her to do. Boaz finishes eating, drinking, he's in good spirits. I don't know exactly what that means. Maybe he's a little bit drunk. We're not sure. He goes over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approaches quietly, uncovers his feet and lays down. So you say, what kind of strange God? 3,000 years ago, ancient Middle East, right? So in the middle of the night, something startles Boaz. He turns and he discovers Ruth lying there at his feet. 
says, who are you? And she says, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. This essentially is a proposal. That's essentially what Ruth is doing to this man, Boaz. Uh, there's no funny business going on here, okay? But this is, a, this is symbolic of a proposal. She is basically asking him to fulfill this levy rate marriage situation and redeem the family because he is legally able to do that. And the response from Boaz is indeed positive. The Lord bless you. This kindness is greater than what you showed me earlier. You've not run after the younger men. I mean, Boaz was significantly older than her, it would seem. We're not entirely sure. But you have not done that. You're, you, you, you continue to, to be so impressive with your character, etc. And now my daughter, again, 3,000 years ago, ancient culture. This is the way she, he referred to her, even though he's about to marry her. Uh, don't be afraid. I will do what you ask. Now, all my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. And uh, although it's true that I am near of kin, there's another guy who's first in line. So there's a guy who's a little bit closer who has the legal right to marry you. And I have to give him that chance in the morning at the town gate. Remember the law that I read at the beginning of this message. And so um, he, he says, if he does not redeem then I will redeem. Essentially, that means I will marry you if he does not, okay? Again, ancient culture. So don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor and he says, bring me the shawl that you're wearing and hold it out. And he, of course, puts all this barley in so, so he's taking care of her already and he's essentially gonna take care of Naomi. And Naomi, you know, when Ruth comes home, how did it go? How did it go? Right? And then she's a matchmaker. How did it go? Well, he gave me six measures of barley and said, don't go away empty-handed. And Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So there's going to be a hoedown at the OK Corral, a public meeting with this whole thing, and the shoe sandal is going to come off. They're going to they're do this whole ancient culture thing. And you see it play out in, in chapter 4. Um, and there's this meeting, and the other guy comes, and he's, the, he's first in line, he's first in the clan, and, uh, you know, and the whole story is told there, and then at the last minute, the guy pulls out, and he says, no, he says, um, I cannot do it, because Boaz tells him, on the day that you buy the land from Naomi, the, the, who was related to Elimelech, of whose clan you were a part of, the day you buy the land from Naomi and, and from Ruth the Moabite, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. And at this, the kinsman redeemer, we don't know his name, he says, I can't do it. I can't do it because I might endanger my own estate. Why? Probably because the woman there is, a, is, is from Moab could cause problems. She's not Hebrew. So he says, no, I'm out. I don't want this risk. I can't do it. Redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. And of course, Boaz's eyes get big and he get a little twinkle in his eyes. And so he says, all right, I'm going to do it. And you actually see the thing take place where the sandal comes off the foot 
to, to legalize the, uh, the agreement, and everybody kind of says, amen, and today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, the, who, the man who passed away, and the two sons, and I have also acquired Ruth, the woman from Moab, the, the widow of the man who passed away, Malon, okay, we know it's Malon who married her, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, and so that his name will not disappear from among his family, uh, from the town records. Today you are witnesses. They play the whole law. It's all exactly as per Deuteronomy. They all say we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, you know, who, who together built up the house of Israel, la, 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 mazel tov. You know, it's kind of, that's, that's the sentiment that's happening there. And, uh, and the, the story ends. Uh, but it ends in, in such a beautiful way. Boaz takes Ruth to be his bride. Uh, they have a son together. And uh, the, the, the woman, uh, uh, Ruth, who's from Moab, says to Naomi, praise be the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous through Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you, Naomi, my mother-in-law, in your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. And Naomi took the child, laid, in, uh, laid him in her lap and cared for him. And the, woman, the, uh, the women living there said, Naomi has a son. Right? I mean, well, it's Ruth's son, but again, it's, it prolongs Naomi's life. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse. And then the author, very clever, names 10 generations up to King David. Remember the ban on the Moabite was for 10 generations? Well, the author says, I'm going to name 10 generations up to David. And he names them from Perez all the way to David. Ruth, the Moabite woman, is the grandmother of King David. And she is mentioned in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus himself. So a thousand years later, at Christmas, what we call Christmas time, Jesus was born. And he is actually our humanity's kind of kinsman redeemer. He's, he's one of us, he's human, but he can redeem us from the devastation of sin. And lo and behold, as it happens, he's born in the little town of Bethlehem, the same place where this amazing story takes place. It would have never happened if it wasn't for a woman, an unsung hero, a mother of two who buried her two children and her husband in a foreign land by the name of Naomi. If she had not have said, I'm going back home, potentially none of it would have ever happened. But she had great courage, street smarts, and great, great wisdom. And that is the lesson that we have for Mother's Day.